You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Uh, we're going to wrap up the book of Matthew today, looking at the Great uh, Commission. And I wanted to do something a little different because we taught through the Great Commission during the We Are the Church series, when we did developing community, working through our mission. And so when we came across it this time in Matthew, I decided to try to take it uh, from a little different angle. Now, the reason that we're all in the foyer is because Jesus in this passage is going to leverage a visual aid. Okay, he's going to take his 11 disciples and he's going to take them up on the up on a mountain in Galilee and he's going to have them look at Galilee while he gives them the Great Commission. So I wanted you guys to look at our Galilee while you receive the Great Commission. This is our 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 place that God's called us to for some of us that live here, but for those in Vancouver, you get the visual, right? And, and I think it's incredibly important for us to, to see what Jesus is talking about, right? And we're not going to theorize about it. We're not going to hide in our little auditorium and talk about it. We're going to have to look at it while we hear these words of Jesus. And I pray it's a powerful reminder for us as we consider the mission that God's called us to. So we're going to read Matthew 28, 16 through 20. If you have a Bible, if you have it on your phone, I would invite you to, to get it out. Otherwise, you can just listen. I also want to invite you guys to stand, that you've gotten nice and comfortable, and we're going to stand up and read the Word of God together. Very slowly. There we go. Okay. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Uh, Hear the Word of the Lord. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. Brief prayer. Father, I pray that your spirit, uh, like Nate prayed, would, would sink deep into us. Um, that you would lead us to repentance and faith as we consider this uh, command of yours to go out and to make disciples of all nations. We would ask that you would do that in the name of Jesus. Amen. You guys have a seat. So we left off last week's message with Jesus rising from the grave, encountering Mary and Mary Magdalene, and Jesus tells these two disciples of his, these two women, to go and tell the other disciples that he's risen. He said in verse 10, Jesus said to them, do not be afraid, go into my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Well, today we are trying to do the same thing. We have gathered into the foyer to get a visual of the nations that God is calling us to reach. Now, I want you guys to try to put yourself in the place of the disciples, okay? So these 11 guys have walked this journey with Jesus over the last uh, three years. Do you guys remember where the ministry of Jesus started, where he first met with these disciples? In the exact same place that they stand right now in our text. The Sermon on the Mount, I believe, takes place, although it's not 
incredibly specific, in the exact same place that Jesus now has the disciples standing. And it's, it's funny when you think back on the Sermon on the Mount, when the ministry started, Jesus looking and talking to those disciples said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all of the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. They must have said, what in the world is that guy talking about? Right? I mean, we, we are the light of the world? Like, aren't we just like just Jewish people? And, and we're supposed to go out and change the entire world? Like, they're going to they're going to see these good works that I'm not really sure what he's talking about, and that through those good works, the world is going to come to know Jesus? Well, then you fast forward three years later, and now what they have is the life and the model of Jesus, for one. I mean, they have been talking with Jesus and walking in relationship with him and having meals with him and seeing him display acts of power through casting out demons and raising people from the dead. Then Jesus goes and he dies for their sins on the cross, right? He resurrects out of the grave. And the first thing he says to them is, now I want you guys to go. So it's changed, right? Their whole understanding of what the mission is and what God's calling them to has changed. Well, over the last two years as a church, we have been on a journey just like the disciples, and, and we've walked through the book of Matthew. I've never preached this much in a book before. Royce, I don't know if you've preached this much in a book before. I mean, two years, along with a couple other side messages. But I believe that our, our, as I look back over the last two years and being in relationship with you guys, uh, our understanding of who God is has grown incredibly. As we've just immersed ourselves in the Word, uh, and when it comes to those three pathways of, of prayer, worship, and scripture, our understanding of who God is and what he's done, I think is at the highest it's ever been at church. At least confessionally, man, when, I, when I'm in that service with you guys and we're all singing those songs together and we're all confessing Christ as our Lord and God as, as our Lord, that's something that or back in the early Red Sea days, there wasn't nearly as much singing going on, Right? But to hear you guys sing, to me, says that you at least understand, right, the reality of who Jesus was. I see uh, a Bible studies happening and triads happening and, and, uh, and people meeting together and reading books about the reality of who God is, okay? So that understanding has grown. When I think about God's command for us to be in relationship with one another, uh, about 80% of Red Sea is in home community, which is amazing for a church to have that many people committed to being in community with one another, walking through life on a regular basis, okay? That says that we understand something about the reality of uh, community and what it means to be a part of a Christian community. But then when it comes to our going out into this community, when it comes to disciples of us as individuals going and sharing the gospel and and making a disciple of someone, all of a sudden the mission tends to kind of trail off. And and I've spent a lot of time, you know, thinking about this. Why is it that when it comes to the command to make disciples, we've turned it into a suggestion? I mean, you think about that. It's the Great Commission. Now, the, the Great Confession, man, we're all about that. 
Loving God with heart, soul, mind. Oh, yeah. When it's all about the great commandment to love neighbors ourselves, we'll do like acts of justice, compassion, connect, the neighborhood cleanup that happened yesterday. But when Jesus rises from the dead and says, I want you, 11, to go out and make disciples, we're like, who's he talking to? Like, where is, where's the evangelists that are going to go out and make all these disciples? And there's this disconnect that happens in the mission of God. Now, in, in the Duncan household, uh, we have a routine, not all that regularly, but fairly regularly, of cleaning our rooms, okay? Now, this has become the bane of parenting in our, in our house, to be honest with you guys. I don't know why something that would take five minutes takes an hour of coaching. I'm just, nobody can relate to this. But it, it, it always happens the same way. My kids are doing something they really love doing, right? Playing Minecraft. And we say, okay, Minecraft time is done. Now it's time to clean your rooms. And then that is followed by usually a slow processional up the stairs, lots of groaning, noise making. There's inevitably always a fight that happens between my kids because they share a room and there's negotiating over whose that is and the line down the middle of the room and the half that you have to clean and the half that she has to clean. And it's just hard. Like it's just as parents, like I just want to say, okay, just don't clean your room anymore because it's just too hard to deal with. One thing that never happens in our household, in in all honesty, I don't tell my kids to go and clean their room. They don't go upstairs, stand there for a while, and then come back down and say, our room's clean. That has never happened because there's a consequence that comes along with that, okay? One thing that never happens when I tell my kids to clean their room, we never enter into a dialogue about the proper way to clean a room necessarily. We've, we've done some of that in the past, but we don't enter into a debate over right room cleaning theology, Okay? When I tell my kids to clean their room, we don't memorize facts about what it means to clean your room, okay? That never happens. But when it comes to the church and making disciples, we will talk about making disciples. We will theorize about making disciples. We will make really cool round graphics that help us make disciples, but yet the majority of Christians never actually make a disciple of another person. Right? Why, why, why is that? Why is there this disconnect? So I've been thinking a lot about it this week, and this, really, this whole message spurred out of a conversation at our elders meeting around creating a culture of evangelism in, uh, in your church. And I, and I think the reason that we don't get around to ever making disciples is because it's just too hard. It's, it's not convenient, right? I mean, we want a form of discipleship that we can plug into our pocket and it's convenient, but discipleship isn't. Now, when we come to church, and, and, I, and I commend you guys for that, that you're coming, the fact that you guys all gathered here today to love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength is says something about your understanding of that command, okay? That's good. But all you're having to do in reality is be a spectator, okay? We come to this place, a service is created, and we engage in that service, okay? When it comes to community, although when it, when it comes to developing in community, it gets a little harder. 
in community because that involves like conversations and relationships with other people. So then we start to see a little less people getting involved in community as we do coming to the Sunday morning gathering because it's just hard. But it's there. But then when it gets to the outward movement to go out and make disciples, when it comes to the Great Commission, we see even less movement inside of the Christian community. And it's, it's because it's hard. Discipling or making a disciple is a lot like parenting. And that's the essence of what discipling is. Discipling is teaching someone the discipline of following somebody else. You're making a disciple of Jesus. You're, you're taking someone and saying, this is what it means to follow Jesus. And that's a pretty big task. I mean, Jesus said, I want you to go out and make, and um, go therefore, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, making disciples of all nations. And then what's, what's he say after that? Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. See, discipleship isn't just conversion. It's not just a prayer. That is fairly easy. Uh, I could get up here and I could do the song and dance every Sunday, and I bet we would see more people come to Christ. If I was like really clever, you know, with the way that I articulated the gospel, but me and Royce have purposefully not done that because we believe it's the church that should go out and make disciples, not just, you know, preachers and pastors and evangelists, but it's all of us. Making disciples, it's sharing our words, but it's also sharing our lives with people, just like parenting is with our kids. You know, when I think about this analogy between parenting and disciple-making, I never went to any parenting classes, personally, uh, although I, I did read some parenting books. I didn't sit down with my kids every day in a classroom setting and say, okay, let's talk about parenting. We call it dinner. Uh, we didn't go on parenting retreats or parenting trips. We just called it vacation. But in the rhythm of parenting, I learned to parent, right? With discipleship, it happens as you do it. You just have to do it. You just have to be willing to go out there and open your mouth and let God's Spirit work inside of you. Now, as I was thinking about this disconnect, I think there's there's two problems when it comes to making disciples. And one of them has to do with the way we think about discipleship and just about life in general. And the other one has to do with a problem that I think is in our hearts. And so when it comes to repentance and faith, it's going to look different from what's going on in your head and what's going on in your heart. Now, here is what I believe is the, is the head problem of why we're, not making, why we're not making disciples. This is us. Don't make fun of my drawing. Okay, this is you, right? In life, you have a number of different roles and relationships, just people that you engage with on a regular basis. Uh, so one is, is, your, is your family, right? You're trying to, trying to be in relationship with wife and kids and, and greater family. You've got another circle of relationships, which is your coworkers. Uh, you've got another uh, circle of relationships, which is this church family. Uh, you've got a circle of relationships that's your neighbors, people you interact with. And then I think there's just a broader one of the, I'm just going to put the community. Oh, and then I would say there's actually another one. So we're just going to go you, right? You. 
He doesn't. You guys are very lonely people. <laughs> and, the, and what we do with our head knowledge is we spend our time juggling these relationships. And, and we tend to compartmentalize life, okay? So I have to, I go to work and I have relationships with my coworkers, and then I go to church, and I have a relationship with people at church, and then I go to my family, and I go to my neighbors. But these are all separate from one another. There's not a whole lot of over- overlap. In our elders meeting, we talked about doing this is, is compartmentalizing, right? Compartment. Compartmentalize life, mental life. And, and that's how we tend to view uh, life is just a series of relationships, and you're trying to keep all those relationships going. You're always juggling them, but they tend to be very disconnected from, 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 from each other. The proper analogy, I believe, at looking at life is to see life more as a, as a wheel with God's mission in the center. So you guys are going to get really impressed here with my drawings. Ready to go? I practice this. Bam. Like that? So this is the, the Red Sea mission, but it's also the mission of God. Christ's community and culture. At the center of life should be the mission of God, Right? He created us. We are in his image. We did not create him. God has a mission. God has a plan. God has a story recorded in the Bible. But it's through his people that he's accomplishing that mission. So then life should look more like a wheel with the mission of God in the center. And then all of our relationships are kind of on the, on the outside here. Myself, my family, my coworkers. My neighbors, community, and um, there was one more, wasn't there? And so this should look like a wheel. We're all about wheels here at Red Sea. Everything comes out to be a wheel. So that when you look at life, God's mission is in the center. And then as I go through life, God's mission has something to do with work. And God's mission has something to do with my family. And God's mission has something to do with my neighbors and with my coworkers. And so all of these different relationships are not separated, but the mission applies to all of them. This is what it looks like to make disciples. It's you and me going out there. And seeing all of these relationships as potential opportunities to make a disciple for Jesus. And there's all types of overlap when it comes to, to that mission. When it comes to the part about God and the part about growing in community and the part about, about culture. And so as we begin to see life like that and start repenting of this disconnect, right? I believe that we will then start going out and making Disciples, this is a, a holistic approach to the Great Commission. Now, separately, there's also a heart problem. And I believe the heart problem, Jesus in this passage, really pushes into his disciples. Because you'll notice in that passage, when his disciples show up, it says some of them worshiped him, but what did some of the other ones do? They doubted. 
And this has been a recurring theme throughout the ministry of Jesus when it comes to these guys. They are, they are constantly doubting who he is. Now, Jesus doesn't say, oh my gosh, you hypocrites, you doubters. But what he does, he's going to empower them with a command, okay? Now, let's think about this command as we look out on St. John's. He says, my people, my disciples... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I mean, think about that. Why would he do that? Why would he say that? You think about the authority of Jesus. Uh, Jesus, before he came to earth in the form of a human, he had a lot of authority, didn't he? He was a part of the Godhead in time past who created the world. You got to have a certain amount of authority to create the world and the cosmos, Okay. When Jesus came to earth, he had a lot of authority. He cast out demons. He raised people from the dead, right? A lot of authority we can see in the life of Jesus. But now, because of his obedience to go to the cross and die, Jesus, or God the Father and the the Holy Spirit, they then raised Jesus from the dead, vindicating him. And because he was willing to go to to the cross, to the point of death, it was an act of submission, an act of humility, he's raised to the highest position available in the cosmos. We we sang about this a minute ago, okay? We sang this song, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We talked about the the saints adoring them, casting down their golden crowns around a grassy sea, right? Thinking toward the end of the world when we're all there with Jesus. We said, holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, and though the eye of sinful man, thy glory cannot see. You are so powerful, we would die if we saw you. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, all thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. We, we sang that song so we at least confessionally believe that. And now this authority that Jesus represents, he's giving it to his disciples and he's empowering them to go out. Well, this doesn't only happen just in the Great Commission. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he latches onto this concept, and he will use it over and over again to empower the New Testament church to go out. So when we read the epistles, Paul's letters, we read them like he's talking to a group of people like us, a local church. That's who he was talking to. Look at what Paul says to the local church. This is going to be in Ephesians 1, 16 through 20. He's going to really butter them up here. It's awesome. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, right? I mean, that's complete buttering up. It's awesome. But then he does all that to make this point. He says, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him in the heavenly places, 
far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And look what he says after that. He talked about who our inheritance in Christ, that our hearts will be open to the immeasurable greatness of God. And then he says, all of this is because of what Christ has done and he's been exalted. And then he says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Wow. The fact that God has been exalted to this place of authority in all of the cosmos and then to be given to the church, to empower the church, to be the body, to go out and to fulfill the mission of God. Paul says something real similar in Philippians 2, 4-11. He says this, Look each of you not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count, God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Paul makes the point of the exalted Jesus so that we would be unified as a church, not looking to our own interests. Why should we not look to our own interests? Why should we make disciples? Because Jesus Christ came and died, right? And then he didn't just stay there. He rose from the grave and then he sent his people out. That's to be their mentality as they think about themselves going out. We leave this place representing a being that is above every name in all of the cosmos that has ever existed and will ever exist. How about this last one here? This is in the book of Colossians. Colossians 1, 17 through 20. And Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. From in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Man, just think about that. And he is the head of the body. He's existed before all things. He holds all things together. And yet he is the head of this body, the church. He's the one with the the brain, right? We're the body that goes out and accomplishes the mission. And then in our text today, I mean, take all of that. Take that that exalted Jesus Christ, our Savior, and he looks at these people, his disciples, and says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The king says go, and we go. And we don't have to do it in fear or timidity. I mean, we think about this idea of making disciples, and and we get scared. We get scared that we'll say the wrong things. We'll get scared that we'll scare them off, right? 
We, we get scared that maybe if, I, if you do invite them here to church or you do invite them to home community, they're going to see how weird we are and they're all going to leave. That's okay. Nine out of 10 people who just show up at Red Sea, they find us on the web, they're looking for a church in their community, and they come here. Nine out of 10, 10 of them never come back to this church, ever. I've been doing this for almost a decade here. I know. You know who stays? The ones who are being discipled by one of you. And I get that there's a purpose to an evangelist. Ephesians 4.11, those guys that have a gifting, there's a reason Sean Garman's on the earth. And they are using their gifting to bring people into the kingdom of God. But that's not the only way that we make disciples. We do it by us going out. And the thing is, you don't have to be afraid. You know why? Because of how Jesus ends the Great Commission here. When Jesus first was born, what was the name that was given him? Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then he was with the disciples. And then he died for us, and he raised to empower us. But he doesn't stop there. He then says, and I will be with you until the ends of the age. And there's nothing that he's going to ask you to do that he hasn't empowered you to do. There's no coworker that he hasn't, doesn't know about the conversation you're going to have. The, the person in your family that you're going to talk to, and they're going to walk away from you and be angry with you. He knows that. When we repented of our sin, His Spirit came and it dwelt inside of us, and it's empowering us to have those conversations. And you don't have to do it in isolation. We've tried to create all of these different environments for you just to be able to bring other people into to help you have these conversations with. Two of the the biggest encouragements for me here at Red Sea, as I've thought about this idea of making disciples, is... uh, my wife's relationship with Veronica that comes to this church and, uh, and Nate and Sarah's relationship. Um, Jamie is not, in a, in a, I would say, an incredibly outgoing person, right? Especially when I married her. She's changed a lot. It's interesting how they do that when you get married. She was very, Jamie was very, very shy, right? I remember... Uh, we were in youth ministry together, and I asked her just to like teach the, the uh, eighth grade girls Sunday school class, and she was just devastated. I mean, she was like shaking, you know, and she was all blotchy, right? <laughs> but she did it, and, she, and, and that was 15 years ago, right? She did the step of obedience. She said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start making disciples. Well, fast forward 15 years later, Jamie gets a job at our kid's school. And she just meets Veronica at the school. And they start talking. They talk about life. They are kindred spirits. They work together. Veronica has a, a, a Roman Catholic background uh, to faith. So she knew about God, but that was about it, much like many in, in the Hispanic culture. So they start having these conversations. And, and they're wrestling through all types of stuff at work. They're talking about life. They're talking about death. They're talking about all this brokenness they're constantly seeing in the school. And they're, she's discipling Veronica. Well, then she doesn't do it on her own. She invites Veronica to home community. 
And we, in our home community, we all start discipling Veronica. Many of you were there as a part of that process. And we were just walking through the Word together, and she was real quiet for like a year, you know? And she just like soaked all this stuff in, and then her and Jamie would go to work, and she was like, okay, Josh said this, and Roy said this. What does that mean? And they would unpack it there at a state school, which is really awesome, and a disciple was made. Well, then she invited her to come to our gathering after she had been going to home community for a year. And Veronica came to this gathering, and it was a year ago last Easter, the first time she ever came here. Do you know how many times Veronica's missed church in the last year? Once. One time. She comes when we're not here, and we're on vacation, right? You know where she is right now? Downstairs. She's downstairs in the kids' community. She doesn't even have a kid down there, right? But she gets it. I mean, she gets the mission of God. It's because somebody discipled her, and it wasn't me. I mean, I was there throwing out questions, but Jamie discipled her. That's beautiful, man. That's the mission of God going out and making disciples of all nations. And it's, it's simple. And it's because Jamie believed Matthew 28. She believed that all authority in heaven and earth, and God had commanded her. And so she just opened her mouth, and God made a disciple. It was the same with Nate and Sarah. They met in their place of work, right? And they just became friends, and they just talked about life, and they had a lot of really hard conversations about God and faith. We watched Sarah's video last week at Easter, and she said, I never met somebody like this. As Nate just processed through life, and the reason I'm having this conversation is because we did this before we baptized Sarah last Sunday. We're standing backstage having this conversation and just thinking about this. They started talking. Nate invited Sarah to church, okay? You remember what Sarah said about the things she was hearing in church? She said, I hated a lot of the things I was hearing. But because someone was discipling her, they went back and they processed and they processed and they processed over and over again. And then Nate invited Sarah to home community. And Sarah came and she was like, oh, I don't know about you guys. But then she felt loved and accepted. And we started talking about life and we started wrestling through really hard things. And Sarah came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that group discipled her. And then she followed in believer's baptism last week. This is happening. Like, I'm not talking just in uh, like an idea here, there are people who are doing this. And I believe this is the future of discipleship at Red Sea. Us as the church going out. And it's not what the church is used to. It's really not. What we are used to is staff doing that and pastors doing that. And us putting on a show so that the world wants to come in and hear it. But that's not what we're doing here at Red Sea because that's not what God commanded us to do here. He didn't say, go and put on a big program, a big evangelistic program. He said, you 11, go. And look at what God did through those 11 people. I mean, the book of Acts is what God did through those 11 people. And some of them did it and made a splash, man. I mean, some of them went on to write letters like Peter, but some of them you never really hear what they did. 
It's not about the fact that their quantity of what they produced. It's that they went. And what if every one of us just picked one person and said, I'm going to disciple this one person, whether it's my place of work, whether it's an extended family member, a neighbor, just one person, and said, I'm going to be bold in the conversations that I have with them. I want us to end our time together with that thought. Who, think, think about this, who are you discipling? If you can't think of a person who is not a Christian that you are discipling, can you really call yourself a disciple? And I'm not challenging the fact that you didn't genuinely repent at some point in, in your life that you weren't that you didn't pray a prayer or that you were baptized but Jesus tells his disciples over and over and over again during that 3 year period if the seed doesn't produce fruit right if the gospel seed that was planted doesn't produce something then it's a dead tree and it should be cut down and burned and we just need to sit in that reality a little bit So here's what we're going to do. The communion tables are ready. Tim's going to head back in, and he's going to start playing. And I want you guys just to sit for a minute. And I want you to look at this neighborhood. And I want you to think about the way that you view your life and your relationships. And I want you to think about the authority that's been given to Jesus Christ and that authority that he now speaks upon us as his church. And then when you're ready... Feel free to get up and go and take communion. Grab your kids, head back to your, to, your, to your seat in there, not this one. So when you get up, don't come back. But take your time, and let's just let's let that marinate a little bit, okay? I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to do that. Father, uh, we come before you as, as your disciples, once again, looking out upon uh, your, the mission field that you've placed us in, thinking about all those different relationships that we have. And first off, God, many of us come here and we just repent. We repent that we've made the, the goal knowing you and maybe even knowing each other, but not going out. We repent of, a, of an over-focus on truth and not of obedience. Father, we repent of complacency. We repent of of not caring that everybody else in the world that isn't a part of your kingdom is going to hell. Father, I I think about this analogy of of the the movie Titanic. And the the ship sinks and and everybody's just kind of treading water. And then you've got these, this one select group of people in the boats. They're the, they're the rich people. They're the privileged ones. And they're sitting there in their boats, and they're listening to the, the cries and the screams of all of these people drowning. And they, they're not willing to go and help them because they know it will cost them something. It may capsize their boat. It may be hard. And so they just keep putting it off and they keep putting it off. They keep waiting for somebody else to come and help. 
and everybody dies. And it's a, a sea of floating dead bodies. What an what a amazing and I think uh, accurate example of the church today. We, we sit in our life raft. We sit here floating. We've been saved. Somebody plucked us from the water. And then we just watch everybody drown. Father, lead us to repentance. God, empower us with your Holy Spirit like you empowered those 11 guys. You said you would help. And you said you would send the helper. And you said that you would be with us until the end of the age. And so we claim those promises. And we claim them through acts of obedience and boldness as we leave this place in just a minute and we go back out into this world. God, do something powerful through this church. We would ask it. Not for my name or for the name of Red Sea, but but for the name of God. You would work. Please, Father. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.